Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me again tonight to first, uh, turn to, first of all, go to Ephesians, the first chapter where we were, and then there's some other verses we're going to look at. Ephesians chapter 1, hallelujah, glory to God. How many of you were here this morning? Praise the Lord. Well, we're just going to pick up where we left off this morning, and we were talking about, of course, we're putting this in the context of our authority, and uh, I feel very strongly impressed of the Lord that these are the days of the restoration of of all things concerning Christ, that we're living in the last days, the very last of the last days. We've, uh, we've heard it. I know I've heard it all my life. People have heard it and said it for generations and, and, and years and years that Jesus is coming back. But just because people have believed it and it didn't happen in their time doesn't mean it's not going to happen. There will be a generation that will see the return of the Lord. He's coming back. And uh, there are abundance of signs that would indicate that uh, his return is drawing very close. Amen. And so I'm not going to let the fact that somebody else believed that a long time ago, it was good for them to believe that. We're told to live constantly in expectation of his return, but uh, he is returning, praise God. And uh, there must be a restoration uh, of all things. Peter said there have to be a restoration of all things Uh, that were spoken from the beginning of all the prophets spoke from the beginning of time concerning Christ. And uh, one of the things that we're focusing here on Sundays in the last few weeks is is a restoration of the authority of Christ. And so we've been talking about this authority. And uh, I said this morning that the passage in beginning in verse 15 going through verse 23 that the primary focus here is the authority of Christ. That belongs to the church. And I'll, and I'll uh, uh, bring you up to speed and show you what I'm talking about that. Uh, you know, in, in, uh, in my 40 plus years, a little over 40 years of, of uh, serving God, uh, I've, ha- I've, I've had some insight concerning authority. But I will tell you, just in recent times, just in, in preparing and ministering on uh, revival praying, I began to get some, some, just some glimpses and some, and some additional uh, insight uh, concerning our authority. And then when we were in Merced uh, last week, week before last, I guess, uh, I saw some things even, even more clearer than I've ever seen before. And I want to get into some of that uh, uh, in this series. And so we want to start here in Ephesians 5, he said, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention, making mention of you in my prayers, and here's what he prayed, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. And then he talks about three particular things that he wants us to know. But the thing I pointed out this morning, the thing I began with this morning is that 
to, to know these things, we must have enlightenment. These are not things that you can sit in church and just hear a message and comprehend uh, English words and just comprehend, uh, you know, like you do two plus two is four. Uh, it's not a mental thing. It, there is a spiritual understanding that we must have. And it's only by the Spirit of God. People who don't have the Spirit of God cannot understand the things of God. And because uh, over in 1 Corinthians, he said these things are spiritually discerned. Well, they're discerned spiritually by the aid of the Holy Spirit who's in our spirit. Amen? And so he prayed here that the church would uh, receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Everybody say wisdom and revelation. Uh, in the knowledge of him, and then that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. We need that. Amen. In order to walk in the fullness uh, of what he has for us. In these last days, more revelation, more understanding, more enlightenment must come concerning our walk and concerning uh, uh, the fullness of Christ that that, uh, is the church, that uh, his plan, his purpose, and our ability to, to be everything that we're supposed to be. We must have more enlightenment. We must have more revelation. And so he talked about three things that he wanted the church to understand. He said in verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, number one, what is the hope of his calling. Everybody say, the hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? That's number one. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And number three, what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now these are the three things that Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that they would be enlightened about, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would bring them uh, enlightenment and knowledge Along three lines, that we might know what is the hope of his calling, number one. What's number two? What's number two? The riches of the glory of what? Of his inheritance in the saints. And what is number three? The exceeding, see, on both of those times, uh, those last two that I had you recite, you faded in the middle. The exceeding greatness of his power toward those... It's the exceeding greatness of his power towards those who believe. It's this whole thing. You understand that? It is, number two, what are the, it's not the riches of the glory. It's the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It's, it's, it's one concept. And these are things that we must get a hold of. Amen. Now, let's look at these uh, and and take them one by one for just a moment. And he said he wanted us to know and have revelation knowledge of what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. Now, sometimes the translation, if if you read, and I always prefer a literal translation. There are different translations. There are different concepts that people use in translating the Bible. Some uh, very literal translations, among the literal translations, there are those like the King James and the New King James that strive for a word-for-word translation. That's not the only 
uh, valuable kind. Some translations are, they, they're, they're literal, but they don't attempt a word for word because sometimes some things can be misunderstood because words in the Hebrew, Old Testament, words in the Greek, New Testament, sometimes the connotation of the words have to, has to be brought out. And if you just translate word for word, you can lose some things sometimes. And then there, are, there, there is value in the more uh, 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 paraphrasic type uh, commentaries and that, that are found in some modern translations that are really not translations as much as they are paraphrases. But I, I like those too. I like them all. But uh, the King James and the New King James are in that class of literal translations where they strive for a word for word. They don't try to embellish anything or amplify anything like the Amplified Bible does. And sometimes that, that can make it a little obscure. Now, notice the wording, what is the hope of his calling? That's, that's, a, little, that's a little obscure, it's a little weird when you just look at it on, on, on the surface. For instance, here, here's my point. I have a calling. I have a calling on my life. Brother Ray has a calling on his life. We don't have the same calling. My calling is different from his. Well, why would I want Brother Ray to understand what is the hope of my calling? Seems like he'd be interested in the hope of his calling. Okay? But we'll go on and we'll see. And, and let, me, let me back up and say this. The word hope is always future tense. Isn't that right? It's always future tense, but not only is it always future, future tense, it always refers to a future blessing. Hope is always attached to a blessing or something good. People hope to win. They hope to get better. They hope to get the job. They, they hope to get rich. Isn't that right? They, it's always a blessing. People don't hope. You don't ever hear people saying, I sure hope. I just sure hope one day I am stone broke. I just hope one day I'll just have no. You never hear anybody saying that. You always hope for good things. Isn't that right? Hope is always attached to good things. Well, here it says that, that he wants us to have revelation knowledge of what is the hope. And in, the New, Te- and in New Testament terms, the word hope Uh, has this meaning, it's a confident expectation. It's not a whimsical uh, hope. A lot of times hope, the way people use it today, it's people just hope for things, but there's no basis for their hope. You know, you might hope to win the lottery, but uh, uh, you might hope to win, you know, one thing or another, but you have no basis for that. Uh, You shouldn't be playing the lottery to begin with. But but I have... have, uh, uh, Sent in, you know, things. I have, I have signed things and signed up for drawings before. You know, every year there's, a, there's a, a ski resorts, you know, that have these drawings. And you can enter it, you know, and you might win uh, four days for two people, you know, to go. Well, I enter those things. You can't win them if you don't enter them. I don't spend any money on it, you understand. I'm not gambling. But sometimes I'll enter those. But, you know, I don't have, I don't have much confident expectation of winning. And, and I haven't won one yet. The only thing I've ever won on a drawing like that is one time I won a TV. 
I, I won a TV one time and I didn't even enter. So people say you can't win if you don't enter. Well, you can. <laughs> Pastor Greg said it was an 18-inch TV. This was a long time ago. It wasn't an 18-inch TV. It was a little bit bigger than that. It was like a 26-inch TV, but there was a, there was a <laughs> same thing. Back then, it wasn't the same thing. But, uh, you know, it, it, um, I, they called me on the phone. It was a, a business right here in High Springs. They said, congratulations, you've won a TV. And I said, well, how did I do that? And they said, well, we just drew your name. I said, I didn't put it in my name. And so, well, we just took names out of the, out of the phone book, I guess. And so I won a TV. But uh, I don't have, my point is, I don't have a confident expectation of winning. But Bible hope is, is a confident expectation because there's some basis for our hope. Now, he says that he wants us to have revelation knowledge of what is the hope of his calling. Jesus is calling. He wants us to have a, a confident expectation and to know what is the hope, this confident expectation of his calling. That's very interesting. It'll become more apparent as we go on down. Let's, go, let's look at the next one. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, I've, I've looked at this particular part of this verse, taken it apart, meditated on it, studied it for decades, literally. And I've, I've read what other people have had to say about it, commentators, Greek scholars, and so forth. And there are two basic interpretations. There, I mean, there are always others, but two, two primary or most common uh, uh, prevailing interpretations of this, of this verse. Overwhelmingly, the, the first interpretation of this verse is what are the riches of his inheritance which are the saints that the saints are his inheritance now that's if you go through the the commentaries by far that's the most prevailing view that he's telling us that he wants us to understand what are the riches of the glory of his Christ inheritance which is his saints and that's because there are a lot of people who can only interpret the Bible in light of God having everything and us having nothing. Everything is about what God has and what God has done, and there's very little understanding about what's been done for us and what belongs to us. And so most uh, traditional uh, uh, commentators are in that camp, and so that's the way they see this verse. That This is talking about uh, uh, Christ's inheritance which is his saints. We are his inheritance. Now, second to that, in, much, in, in, a, in a much uh, fewer number, and these are the two main interpretations, is that this is talking about the inheritance of uh, Christ's inheritance, which belongs to the saints. His, that we would know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And they say it, that means his inheritance, which belongs to the saints. And or, or they say it like this, what he wants us to understand is the riches of the glory of the saint's inheritance, what belongs to us. I've been in that uh, vein for many, many, many years. That's the way I've looked at it. In fact, I have written in my Bible one translation. This is a Phillips translation. 
And I've written it in the margin of my Bible. And it says, the magnificence and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians. Now this is, Phillips is is a little bit more of of a paraphrasical type translation. The magnificence and splendor of the inheritance promised to Christians. And that's the way I've seen this for, for most of my uh, uh, life as a, as a Christian and as a minister. And that is true, but that I'm seeing there's more in this than, than what we've seen. In fact, sometimes it's amazing how you can read over a passage of Scripture. And I'm not talking about just reading over it lightly. I have meditated on this passage and studied this passage and pondered this passage for years. And the reality of what he's saying is staring me right there in the face. I didn't see it. I want you to notice how it's written. He wants us to have a revelation of what are the riches of the glory of whose inheritance? Whose? His? Is it yours? It's his. He wants us to have an understanding of the riches of the glory of whose inheritance? It's plain as day. Is not that what it says? His inheritance. He wants us to have an understanding of the riches of the glory of his inheritance, his inheritance in the saints. Not just the inheritance promised to the saints, his inheritance which is in the saints. His inheritance in the saints. That's as plain as it is, the way it reads. And if you'll notice the, the one before it, it's the hope of whose calling? His calling. This is what I want to emphasize. It's the hope of his calling. It's the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Now, let's, let's go down to, to number three. And what is the exceeding greatness of whose power? His power. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? His, the hope of his calling the glory of his inheritance and the greatness of his power. This is the thing that, that, that we need to see. It's all about how great his calling is, how glorious and, and how rich his inheritance is and how great his power is. It's all about that, but it's, notice the greatness of his power Toward us. It's the greatness of his power. His power toward us. It's the riches of his glory. I mean the riches of his inheritance in us. It is the hope of his calling. And we have access to that. Because as he is, so are we in this world. I have a calling on my life. And I, and I mentioned Brother Ray here has a calling on his life. But my calling and his calling comes from his calling. My calling and, Pastor, and, and Brother Ray's calling, Pastor Greg's calling, our individual callings originate in his calling. We've all partaken of his calling. But it's his calling more than it's my calling. My calling is his calling more than it's my calling. 
Your calling is his calling more than it's your calling. It's, let me say it like this. It's first of all, his calling that's been distributed to you. It's the riches of his glory. It's the, it's the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Now, what are some things, and before we go into power, what are some things that, uh, that belong to Christ? What, what, what does his inheritance can, uh, involve? Well, it involves a lot of things. But let's just look at one thing that the Bible talks about his inheritance, and it's the thing that he talks about in this passage. Go over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 4. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. How did he obtain this name? How did he obtain his name? By inheritance. Now, he also obtained his name because it was bestowed upon him. The Bible says in Philippians that that God has highly exalted the Lord Jesus Christ and given him, bestowed upon him, a name that's greater than any other name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow, knees in heaven, knees in the earth, knees under the earth. Everyone should kneel and bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. So God has conferred this name on him, but he has also inherited a name. He's inherited a name. Well, he wants us to understand the riches of the glory of his his inheritance. And it's his inheritance, but it's in us. And see, the distinction from, from what I'm, I'm seeing and the, what I'm trying to communicate is it's, not, it's, it's, it's more than just it's our inheritance, something God's given us. It's his inheritance that he's given us. Do you see that? It's in the saints, but it's his inheritance. His inheritance in us. What are the riches of the glory of that inheritance? He, he, we need to see it. But one thing he's inherited is this name. Now, let's go on reading because he talks in this chapter about the name. He, uh, let's, let's go on down and, and we'll get to the name in a minute. Notice verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? We need to stop right there and understand that we're not talking about nuclear power. You're not talking about uh, some other kind of power that people think is great. We're talking about His power, the greatness of his power, the greatness of his power toward us who believe. See, it's his power, but it's toward us. It's his inheritance, but it's in us. It's his hope, but we partake of it. And there is a a confident future expectation expectation of blessing associated with his calling. We need to understand that we're called. I'm going back to the calling, number one, for a minute. We need to understand that there's so much more that we've been called to. There's so much more that we've been called to than we've ever laid hold of before. We're called to greater things than we've seen. I said the church is called to greater things than we've seen. How great is our calling? It's his calling. 
What is the hope? What is the future blessing? What is the constant uh, uh, expectation of confident expectation of his calling? That's what we've entered into. The exceeding uh, 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 well, I, I get tri- tripped up here. Yeah, the this the exceeding greatness of his power. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the the riches of his glory. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance? There's there's more here than we've seen. There's more about his inheritance than we've seen. We talk about our inheritance. We need, to, we need to talk about his. What has he inherited? What's he inherited? Well, one thing inherited is this name. We need to know more about that. There's more in his name. He has inherited a name which is above every name. There's, there's more in that inheritance, the inheritance of his name, than we've understood. We need to lay hold of it because it's in us. It's in us. Well, if it's in us, we need to know more about it. We need to comprehend it better. And then the exceeding greatness of his power toward us. We need, to, we need to, in order for it to have its maximum effect toward us, we need, to mo- we need to know more about the greatness of that power. That's what he said. He said, I want you to have a revelation of what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he tells us about that power. It's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ. Now, here's here's the way we normally read this. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, and it's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. But that's not all. That's not a full, that's not a complete saying. That's not completely what that says. It's according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and which he, when he raised the, the greatness of his power, when he raised him from the dead and when he raised him from the dead and there was tremendous power involved when Jesus was raised from the dead, but there's also power involved in his being seated. When he raised him from the dead and seated him. There is power associated again with his resurrection. But there's power associated with his seating. All of that power. The power associated with his being raised from the dead. And the power associated with his seating. It's all toward us. His. We we understand to a limited degree. That. The power of his resurrection is directed towards us. And very often songs are written about, you know, the, his resurrection power working in us. And, 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 but what about his seating power? What about his seating, seating power, which is at work in us? Huh? The exceeding greatness of his power when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. In the heavenly places, far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. 
Notice the, the exceeding greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand far above all principality and power, might and dominion and every name that's named not only in this age but in the age to come is toward us. Listen, when we get to heaven, we've only begun. When, or let me say it this way. When, when we leave this earth, we will, have, we will have only begun to experience what he has for us. We will, we will only have begun because it's not only in this age, it's in the age to come. Everything in this age and in the age to come, every name, all principality, all power, all might, all dominion. This has, has reference to evil principalities and powers. It also has reference to, to good principalities and powers, the heavenly hosts. He has been seated far above and given a name that is far greater than all names, all power, all authority, all dominions in this age and in the age to come. And that, the fullness of that power is directed towards us. It's bigger than we think it is. Hallelujah. Now, remember us talking about authority. What is authority? Remember what authority is? Do you know what it is? Delegated power. We use Brother Ray. He's a, it's not a policeman, excuse me. He's a sheriff's deputy. Uh, he has power conferred upon him in the form of authority. He has been duly authorized as an officer of the law to represent the government, the county. What county is it? Clay County. The government of Clay County has vested him with certain rights and he, and he has authority to do certain things on behalf of the government. Well, that authority is backed up by power. Ray, Ray's just an ordinary man like, like the rest of us. But he has authority that the rest of us don't have. And that's why he can, he can pull somebody over and give them certain orders and they have to follow. If I, if I wave somebody down on the street and say, hey, give me your driver's license, they don't have to give me their driver's license. But they do have to give him his, his, they do have to give him his driver's license. Isn't that right? Get this out. I'm telling you, like I said, you're a merciless group. You have lots of opportunities uh, to show mercy and you don't take it. <laughs> what is authority? It's delegated power. This power that was wrought in Christ, that, w- that was worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the Father's right hand far above all principality, power, might, dominion and every name that's named. Putting, he, go, he goes on to say in the next verse, and put all things under his feet. That power is toward us in the form of our authority. That, let me say it this way, that power is toward us because it's delegated to us. We have the full authority that everything that power wrought. 
We have the full authority of everything that power wrought. Everything that power worked, we have the authority of it. Because it's toward us. See, I don't, in my, in my physical frame, in this body, I can only contain so much power. And that's why, that's why no one can look on the face of God and survive <laughs> in the flesh. You just, can't, you just can't handle it. Isn't that right? I, I can't contain all of the power. I wasn't, I, I, my, my physical, uh, my physical status. Now, one day we will be able to because we'll have a glorified body. But in our present state, we can't, cont- we can't contain the fullness of that power, but we can walk in the fullness of that authority. Ray doesn't carry with him the power, all the power of Clay County. But he carries the full authority that goes with his office. And that authority enables him to act in ways that demonstrates power. There, or put it this way, there's power behind. There's sufficient, way more power than, than he could ever use is behind him when he exercises his authority. Well, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised victoriously. He was raised from the dead. It says in, go over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 15 says, talking about Jesus, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, in the margin of my Bible, I also have Philip's translations written here. It says, and then having drawn the sting of all the powers and authorities ranged against us, he exposed them, shattered, empty, and defeated in his final Glorious, triumphant act. Now, in the Greek where it says, having disarmed, the older, I'm reading from the New King James, the older King James says, having spoiled. Many translations today read, read, uh, render this this way, having disarmed principalities. These are evil principalities and powers. Having disarmed them. But in the original Greek, the Greek word that's translated disarmed means to... Holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy divest oneself of something. To holy put something off of you. And so some translations are bold enough, most are not. But some translations, and, and, there's, and, I, and I took uh, last night and I, I uh, closed that file down and didn't save it. But I, I took from my Bible software, I took four, different, four or five different translations that bring out this side of it, that having put off from himself, having thrown off from himself, having stripped away from himself, principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Having stripped off from himself. You see, when Jesus went into the, into the grave, and, you know, he died on the cross and his body was in the grave for three days and three nights. His spirit was not in that grave. 
His spirit was not in that tomb. We all know that when people, and Jesus, though he was God, he was also a man. He he has a human spirit. Now listen to me. We all know that when people die, their spirit leaves here. They're, 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 listen, if you have a loved one that's died and you think they're talking to you, visiting with you, they're not. They're not. That's the devil trying to trick you. Because we know that when people die, their spirits leave here. And where do they go? Two choices. Heaven or hell. It's the only two places human spirits go when they leave here. Now, you know, I, I've seen some of these movies, but I don't remember the name of them because I don't, I'm not a real movie, you know, fan. Uh, I mean, I go sometimes, but I'm not like some people that I know. Uh, you know, a movie, what do you call it? Aficionado, you know. I'm not, I'm not that. Uh, and I don't remember movie lines very well, but I, I do know I've seen a couple of movies where, you know, a husband's died and then he comes back, you know, and he's trying to talk to his wife. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've seen these crazy movies. And he's so frustrated because he can't, he, he wants to tell her something, but he can't. You know, and he gets up in her face, you know, and tries to do, well, why can't, because he's disembodied, in the movie, this is not real, of course, but in the movie, he's disembodied. He doesn't have a body. Well, without a body, human spirits can't stay here. God does not allow human spirits to stay here when their body dies. Now, demon spirits are just like that ghost in that movie. And just like, you know, that that husband, he's in the movie, he's a disembodied spirit. And because he's disembodied, he's trying to communicate to his wife. And and he's trying to do things to try to get her. And she's just oblivious, you know. She's, you know, she's mourning. She's weeping, you know. She's lost her husband. And he's right there. He's trying to comfort her. He can't. Why? Because he doesn't have a body. You have to have a body to operate in this realm. You have to have a physical body. Well, that's that's the problem demons have. They are disembodied. They used to have bodies. We won't go into all of that. They used to have physical bodies. But they're here in the earth. But they're disembodied spirits. And Jesus said these disembodied spirits walk through dry places seeking rest and finding none. So they'll go back into that body that was, they were cast out of. Demon spirits are always looking for a body to get it because they can't express themselves. Demon spirits can't express themselves and they can't hurt you because they don't have a body. They can't make you do anything. They can't push you into anything. They're tormented. We think demons, we're scared of demon spirits. They are the most miserable, tortured, frustrated, anxious Creatures on, uh, on, known to, to, in the universe because they, they don't have a body. They crave getting into somebody's body. And that's why people need to stand strong against any suggestion that comes that's not according to the Scripture because then these spirits will get access. And if you yield to them long enough, they'll get into your body. But, but human spirits, when they leave here, they're not allowed to stay. Well, where did Jesus go during the three days and three nights? Do you know there's not one scripture, not one scripture 
in the New Testament that portrays Jesus in heaven during three days and three nights. That his body was in the grave. Not You would think there would be one. Most people think Jesus was you know, with, with the Father. He wasn't. There's not, you look it up, look it up. There's not one reference in the New Testament that shows Jesus, or that portrays him or presents him in heaven during the three days that his body was in the ground. Not one. It's because he didn't go to heaven. He went to hell is where he went. There's, no, there's only two places. And there are scriptures that talk about his torment during those two days. And well, torment, he couldn't be tormented in heaven. He was tormented in hell for three days because that's what you and I deserve. Our sin obligated us to eternity without God. To an eternity of torment. Separated, cut off, and cast out from the presence of God. That's what sin obligated you and I to experience for all eternity. And so when Jesus bore the sins of this world, he, he, he took them upon himself. He, he became, uh, he was judged, put it this way, Jesus was judged with your sin and with my sin. Well, if he was judged with your sin and my sin, then he had to suffer the punishment of our sin. And he went into hell for three days. And you say, well, why just three days? Listen, when you get over out of outside the physical realm, eternity is timeless. I said eternity is timeless. What one experiences for a minute is the same as experiencing it for eternity. There, there's no concept of time. You're just there. Well, Jesus was just there suffering all of the condemnation, all of the judgment, all of the torment, all of the separation, the sorrow, the emptiness, the, the, the being forsaken with no hope and no help, he, he suffered that. Yeah. But when justice had been served, when your sins and my sins had the judgment that, we, that was our due, when that justice had been served, God sent forth a command and called him out of hell. That's enough. And the Bible says he was quickened, what? In spirit. He was made alive in spirit. That means he was spiritually dead. Now don't, miss, don't, don't get thrown and crossed up with that. Spiritual death is not cessation of existence. When your body is dead, it'll just go back to dust. And just go back to nothing. But spirits cannot die in that sense. Spiritual death is not the cessation of existence. It's, spiritual death is nothing more than separation from God. Separation, being cut off from, the, from God's presence, is called spiritual death. And, and, and when Jesus died on the cross, he died not only in his flesh, he died spiritually. That's why he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the first time he had ever known separation from the Father. That is spiritual death. And when he was, when he was in, in hell, he was dead spiritually. But when justice had been done, God quickened him, made him alive in spirit. 
and raised him up. Ooh, glory. The power, the raw power that raised him from the dead is toward us. But he didn't just raise him from the dead. He didn't just quicken him in spirit. It says that when Jesus, when he was made alive, he stripped off from himself. All of these, well, if he stripped off from himself principalities and powers, when did, when did it happen that he was overcome by principalities and powers? If, if, he stripped him, if he stripped them off of him, they had to be on him. Had to get on him sometime. There were no principalities, no evil spirits, no demons, no, no, no darkness on him when he was here in his earthly ministry. It had to have been during the three days because we know they were on him because he stripped them off of him. When he was raised from the dead, the power that was exerted when God raised him from the dead also was, was the power that Jesus used when he stripped off from himself principalities, powers. Stripped them off. Cast them aside as a rag. Rose up victorious. Gathered all these evil spirits and just, and just made a parade of their failure. Made a, made a mockery of them. Oh, hallelujah. And, that's, and that's, in, that's, that's what's involved in his seating. He was seated far above all principal, all of those principalities and powers had to watch him be seated in the heavenly realm. Nothing they could do about it because he conquered them. Amen. He won the victory. He did it in and of himself. He's the one and only qualified man that absolutely destroyed the kingdom of darkness. He was raised up, and these principalities and powers had to watch him after they were stripped off. They had to watch him being seated at the Father's right hand and given a name that's greater than any other name in the universe. All of that authority, all of that power has been delegated to us in the form of our authority. It's good news. It's his inheritance in the saints. It's his calling that we have the hope of, that we have the confident expectation of the future blessing. I'm not talking about future in the sweet by and by. I'm talking about the future of tomorrow morning. I'm talking about the future of the next time we need it. I'm talking about the future of the next time we step out in our calling and obey him. The blessing that's, that's there, it's always awaiting us. It's always, a, there is a future of blessing concerning our calling that is his calling and we partake of that calling and there's a blessing associated with it every morning. The hymnist said his mercies are new every morning. Well, his blessings are new every morning. Our authority is new every morning. Our calling, which is his calling, is, a new, is new every morning. Praise God. He was raised up and seated at a pl- in a place of supreme authority in the universe above every name Every kind of power, whether it's evil or good, he's over them all. It's all been delegated to us. Do we need a revelation? Do we need more understanding? Have we just scratched the surface? 
Yeah, that's why Brother Hagin wrote in the, in the, in the uh, forward of his book on the believer's authority. He, he said that uh, uh, some of us, he said, some of us, talking about himself, he said some of us ha- have gotten over into the edge of it. But before Jesus returns, he said, I believe a whole company of believers will rise up and learn to take their place. He made another statement in the, in, in, uh, uh, the limited edition of, of that book when they re-edited it from some other messages. And he talked about the time that uh, his, his uh, su- Sunday school superintendent fell into some machineries back in the 40s. And, and, he, and he was uh, almost killed. And they called uh, Brother Hagen to the job site, and he's, they, they were afraid to move him. He's laying out on the job site. He had fallen into this big machine, and, and he was all in internal injuries, and the doctor was there, and he was afraid to move him. He said, if I move him, he's going to die. His wife came out on the scene, and, and so uh, they finally, they finally uh, he stabilized enough that they took this man into the hospital. He was laying in the hospital, and they couldn't even do x-rays, couldn't do anything. They didn't want to move him. Because they're afraid if they, they don't even know what's wrong with him internally. He was in such bad shape they couldn't even do x-rays. And Brother Hagin talked about how that, that he spent uh, the night there. When the, when the wife, you know, would, would leave in, in the afternoon to go home, he would spend the night and he would walk the floor. And just say, Lord, I, I can't let this man die. He said he's, he's the only real, he said, I've had other Sunday school superintendents before, but they were nothing but na- in name only. They didn't do any work. He said, this is the only real Sunday school superintendent I've ever had. Besides that, he's faithful. He's faithful in the church. He's faithful in finance. He's one of the biggest givers in the church. And he just listed this litany of things that this man, about this man. And he said he pled his case, this man's case before the Lord. And said, I just can't let him die. He said, I need this man. I need, I'm I'm the pastor and he's valuable. I need him. And if I need him, you need him. And I can't let him go. He also, as a side note, he said, uh, he said, I've had other people that I couldn't make that good a case over. <laughs> it matters. It matters how valuable we are. How, how valuable, I should say, how valuable we make ourselves. He said, there are other people that I've wondered sometimes, well, if that happened, I, I wouldn't have much of a case to plead. But he pled this man's case before God and said, I, can't, I just cannot. And several times during the night, you know, this man would look like he was dying. Brother Hagin said he would slip off to sleep. And, it would, and then when he would wait, and, and while he was there with him, the man would, would stabilize. And then he would, you know, you'd wake all night and all day. You know, during the night he would slip off to sleep. And he'd wake up and it looked like he was dead. He said he woke up one time and the nurse was in there, you know, doing something with him. And Brother Hagin said, is he dead? She said, well, I thought he was. But he's not quite dead, but he'll never make mourning. And so he'd just get up, get up you know, go out in the hallway, walk back and forth. Say, I just, I just, can't, let him, I just can't let him go. I'm not going to permit it. This man was, was totally healed. Totally healed. Just a, a week or so later, he was back in church, stood up and testified. And he said, some of you, uh, you know, have this idea that you feel sorry for people, Christians who die. He said, don't ever feel sorry for a Christian who dies. He said, because I died. He said, he, he, he went, he left his body and he went to heaven. He said, there was so much joy and so much peace. He said, heaven is an awesome place. And G, I got up there and Jesus said, you can't stay. He said, but I want to stay. He said, no, you got to go back. I don't want to go back. 
He said he, Jesus reached over and pulled what looked like a curtain. And he opened up the realm of the spirit. And Jesus and this man saw Brother Hagen in the hallway of that hospital saying, Lord, I just can't let him go. I'm just not giving up. I can't, I'm not letting him die. And Jesus turned to this man and said, see, I told you, Brother Hagen won't let you stay. And, and the comment that Brother Hagen made about that later, he said, some of us have stumbled sort of almost accidentally. We've got over into the edge of this authority and we've had certain experiences and we thought, whew, what an experience. What a great experience. And we thought, well, I might not ever have an experience like that again. What, a, what an amazing experience. Who knows if I'll ever have one. He said that kind of thinking is what defeats us. We have authority that we've just barely touched, just gotten over in the edge of. But before Jesus returns, the church has to understand its authority and learn to take its place. Now, here's the thing that I pointed out. Here's the thing that I, that I, that, that I want you to see too. It's his authority. It's his calling. It's his power. It's his inheritance, he, Jesus, has the right to instruct us in the exercise of that authority. It's his authority. Brother Hagen made this statement. Let's see if I can find it here real quick. He said, you can't go around promiscuously exercising authority over the devil and somebody else you've got to have authority you've got authority over your own life and with your own family but you can't resist the devil you excuse me you can't cast the devil out of everyone you meet on the street even if they do have the devil in them because they have authority over their own lives when people won't help that's another matter let me point something out to you here you don't just exercise spiritual authority on behalf of other people per se. You've got to have the manifestation of the Spirit of God. That's why many are failing. They are trying to deal with spirits without the word of knowledge, the discerning of spirits, or any unction of the Holy Ghost. So he's telling us that spiritual authority has to be exercised uh, in connection with the leading of the Spirit and the empowering of the Spirit. We don't just go around exercising this awesome power we have on our own because we'll, we'll mess it up. God, God, God's not going to allow that. Now, in your own life, in what belongs to you, yes, you exercise authority. You don't even have to think about it. Devil, take your hands off me. You take your hands off my family. You take your hands off my kids. Amen. You take your hands off my church. You take your hands off my nation. These are things that belong to us. But in dealing with other people who, where we don't have authority, we have to have the Holy Spirit to empower us and to move through us. Because again, it's his calling, it's his authority, it's his uh, inheritance, it's his power. It's not ours just to use any way we want to. In the lives of other people. That's why people get uh, 
uh, disappointed sometimes and frustrated because they, they understand how much power they hear me talking to them and other preachers talking about the authority they way, that we have. And then they wonder why I, why I can't use that authority to break the power of the devil over my loved ones. I've got someone close to me and they're tormented by devils and I can't seem to get them free. Well, they have to be open. Yes, you have authority, but they have authority as well. They have to be open. But the Holy Spirit... And there's a reason for this, and it has to do with Jesus' intercessory ministry. Jesus, because of what he did, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he is the only, single, only, true intercessor for all of mankind. Because Jesus has the right, Jesus has the right to move in people's lives to an extent that the rest of us don't have because he paid the price. See, Jesus bought us. He bought and paid for us. He owns us. Well, even though sinners haven't acknowledged that and haven't received eternal life, he bought them. He paid, he bought them, whether they realize it or not. He paid the price for them. Because of what he did in his death, burial, and resurrection, he is the one human being that has the authorization to intercede on behalf of fallen men and Christians all over the world. And he is looking for people like you and I who will yield to his intercession hook up with his intercession, let his intercession begin to flow through us, and that's when that authority is enacted. That's when the Spirit of God moves on us and we can exercise authority in other people's lives because it comes from Jesus. It's his, remember, it's his calling. It's his uh, uh, inheritance. It's his power. It was wrought in him when he was raised from the dead and seated far above we, we have to work hand in hand with the Lord in these last days. We, if, if, if you get nothing else out of this tonight, understand this, that in these last days we must learn to work with God. Not thinking that I'm just going to be Superman walking through the world, you know, just casting out devils and doing great things. I'm, I can do things in my own life and in the life of my family, but when it comes to other people, I'm so dependent on the Holy Ghost taking the ministry of Jesus and opening it up through me. Hallelujah. Do you see that? Oh, glory to God. Let's, let's stand up. Praise God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.